Okay, if you have Bibles with you, open up to the Gospel of John, uh, chapter 21. We're nearing the end of our journey through John's Gospel. Uh, this morning I'll cover the first half of this final chapter. I'll be away next Sunday. Nadine and I are going to down to Brooklyn, New York to visit family. Our son is going to fly in. And we're going to meet his girlfriend for the first time, so we're pretty excited about that. Uh, Tom Schultz will be speaking uh, next week. Um, and unless the Holy Spirit edits, we will finish up the Gospel of John the following Sunday, uh, May 8th, which is Mother's Day. Uh, but today, uh, we're going to look at chapter 21, uh, verses 1 through 14. As soon as my iPad cooperates with me. might be time for a new iPad. <laughs> I have limited memory and uh, kind of get stuck every so often. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> Any second now. There we go. Thank you, Jesus. Why don't you follow along as I begin reading in verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Canaan in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, Friends, have you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your nets to the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple who loved Jesus said to Peter, It is the Lord! As soon as Simon Peter heard him say it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were far too, for they were not too far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, he, they saw a fire of burning coals uh, with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, "Bring some of the fish you've just caught." So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore. It was full of fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dare ask, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them. And they did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appears to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Lord, I thank you for your word and for the truth that's in your word. Use me today to speak your word to your people in a life-giving way. I ask this in Jesus' name. So verse 1 of chapter 21 begins with the word afterward. It's a, it's a term like the word therefore. It's, it's a transitional term, a transitional word. The scene in the narrative 
has changed. In this case, it's changed from Jesus' second appearance uh, to his disciples, um, where he presented his hands and his side to Thomas, we covered that last week, to his third appearance here at the Sea of Galilee. And as it says in verse 1, it happened this way. Seven disciples were hanging out together. Thomas, Peter, Nathaniel, James, and John. Those are the sons of Zebedee. And two other unnamed disciples. In verse 3, Peter decides he's going fishing. And he says, I'm going out to fish. <laughs> and the rest of them followed his lead, replying, we'll go with you. So you got seven guys in a boat, and they spent the whole night fishing. You know, you can always pick out the leader in a group of people. He or she is the one who either suggests or announces an activity. Everybody else just instantly buys in. It's clear in this text that Peter is the de facto leader. So what's going on here? The disciples are living in an in-between place. They're in transition. Life is not what it was. And it's not quite yet what it's going to be. They're no longer roaming the countrysides of Judea, Samaria, and Galilee doing itinerant ministry with Jesus. And as of yet, they haven't in any practical way embraced the commissioning that Jesus gave to them in John 20, verse 21, where he says, Jesus says to his disciples, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So the cross is behind them, and they haven't quite yet experienced Pentecost. They are in an in-between place. Now, looking back historically, we know that God's got a plan for these people and that their lives are about to change in ways that we couldn't possibly imagine. Right? Major events like Christ's ascension into heaven, Pentecost where the Holy Spirit comes and gives birth to the church, and even the formation of the early church are merely weeks away. But in the story, they don't know that yet. It makes me wonder about our stories. Right? Major things have happened in the past. Major things are about to happen in the future. But Jesus' closest friends, his disciples right now, are in an in-between place where not a whole lot's happening. You ever felt like that? You look back and said, oh, the glory days. I remember what was. Maybe you have dreams and visions for what the, the future might be. But right now... You're in an in-between place. You're in transition. Here in verses 1, 2, and 3 of chapter 21, it's clear that the disciples are clueless about what's to come. They've just been on the journey of a lifetime. They, they traveled with Jesus. They traveled with the Son of God. It doesn't get much better than that, right? The Word of God made flesh is their best friend, their buddy. They hang out together. They're hanging out with the long-awaited Messiah. And he calls them friend. That's an exciting journey. The things that they witnessed were just amazing. I mean, signs and wonders like crazy. They seen the dead raised and the sick healed. They saw the lame walk, blind eyes open. They watched food be multiplied and thousands fed. Jesus walking on water. Jesus changing water into wine. They've seen amazing stuff. But that stuff's not happening right now. Those days are behind them. Because just recently, Jesus was arrested. He was beaten mercilessly. He was crucified unjustly. And he died. Their worlds were devastating until about a week ago. Then the unimaginable happened again. Jesus rose from the dead. 
and has twice now supernaturally materialized in their midst. Both times, well, they were hiding behind locked doors from the religious leaders in their community. Can you imagine the emotional roller coaster these guys have been on? And so now they're in this in-between place. Jesus is no longer with them around the clock like he had been before his death. He's popped up a couple of times in rather dramatic fashion. But if I'm the disciples, honestly, I have more questions than answers at this point. And in the absence of clarity, Peter does what he knows how to do. He goes fishing. And his buddies who have nothing better to do because they're not itinerant ministers with Jesus anymore, they figure, hey, we'll go with him. Verse 3 ends by informing us that Peter's old ways of doing things is just not working out for him so well. So it tells us, so they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. You know, just before I accepted the call to this church, I was kind of in an in-between place. And I was wondering if, you know, maybe God is going to make some dramatic change in my life, and maybe after like 25 years, maybe my days of pastoral ministry were behind me. I was, I was really given that serious consideration. And a, a good friend who worked for Apple Computer said that they were hiring. And I remember thinking to myself, yeah, it's a huge company. They got boatloads of cash. I figured, hey, I love their products. I've got pretty decent administrative skills. I've got strong people skills. I'm thinking, even if I started at the bottom at my age, give me some time and, you know, I'll, I'll climb up the ladder make my way. And so I applied. I wound up having four interviews for a part-time, entry-level position. Four interviews. I've never been so thoroughly vetted in my life. Four interviews for a part-time, entry-level position, and I did not get the job. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, thought, I thought, you know, these, these days of ministry were behind me. God... Like Peter and his friends, I went fishing all night long, and I caught nothing. God had other plans. And you guys are it, so here I am. God had other plans for Peter and the disciples. And so let's pick it up in verse 4, where Jesus shows up again for the third time. It says, early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore. But the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. He called to them, friends, have you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the other side of the boat, and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Does this, sound, does this story sound familiar to you? Well, it should. Because it's exactly what happened in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Even before Jesus ever called his disciples, he hadn't picked any of them yet. Let me, let me read that account to you. And you could see just how similar these are. But they're clearly two different events. It says, one day as Jesus was standing by the, the, standing by the lake of Gennesaret, 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 that's right, standing by the lake of Gennesaret, also known as the Sea of Galilee, same city. The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got to one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, also known as Peter, and asked him to put out a little bit from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down 
the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon saw this, he fell at Jesus' feet and said, Go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. Uh, for he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had just taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats on shore and left everything and followed him. Stories are pretty similar, wouldn't you say? Almost identical, except that one's at the beginning of the journey, the other's at the end. The first half, excuse me, the last half of chapter 20 was all about Thomas, and we covered that last week. Chapter 21, really the entire chapter 21 is about Jesus, excuse me, is about Peter. Here, Jesus, in chapter 21 of John, Jesus is speaking Peter's language. He's taking him back to, the, to one of the, their very first encounters. He brings it full circle for Peter, and Peter gets it. Well, John really gets it first, but then Peter. In verses 7 to 9, Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. Why would John say that? Because he remembers what happened back in Luke chapter 5. Hey, remember before we started following Jesus what happened? The whole thing with the fish and the boats? This got to be Jesus. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing in the full net of fish. For they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. And when they had landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. So just like he did the first time, Peter leaves the fish and the nets behind. He sees it's Jesus, <laughs> leaves, leaves the boat, leaves the nets, leaves his friends. He's, he's making a passionate charge a reactive mad dash for Jesus. And Jesus has breakfast for his friends. He has breakfast started for them. I love this picture of Jesus. I'm overwhelmed by how relational Jesus continues to be after the resurrection. Right? First he appears to Mary Magdalene, and then to frightened friends hiding behind locked doors. A week later to that same group, and now specifically to Thomas, and now on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, he appears again for Peter's sake. And what does the risen King of Kings and Lord of Lords do? What does the one who just conquered hell, death, and the grave, the God who just conquered hell, death, and the grave, what does he do? He prepares breakfast for his friends who've labored all night long and caught nothing. Does that blow your mind? That blows my mind. If I was making up a story about a mighty God, after he just had this incredible victory, where he rose from the dead, is the next story I'm going to tell how he prepared breakfast for his friends? It's not even going to be anywhere in my vision, in my scope, in my imagination. He's going to do something grander and greater and mighty. That's not the God we serve. We serve a God who makes breakfast for his friends. That's pretty awesome. 
So why does he do that? Why would Jesus do this? It's in the book. You've all probably read it before. Why did Jesus do this? Because with Jesus, it's all about relationship. Why does he make breakfast? Because that's where relationship happens, at meals with dear friends. Because this is what God has always wanted with humanity from the very beginning, ever since the Garden of Eden, that he would enjoy unfettered friendship with humanity. This is what he wanted. The whole thing was to get back to that place where we could enjoy close, intimate, relaxed, loving friendship with our God. It's all about relationship. A relationship of love and trust between the Trinity and humanity. Listen, if it had been all about religion, if it had been all about being right, then Jesus would have appeared to the chief priest. And he would have said, na 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 <laughs> You tried to kill me. You were wrong. I was right. He didn't appear to the chief priest. Right? He could have gone to every Pharisee who had ever treated him rudely throughout his three-year ministry journey and said, hey, you know, who's your daddy? <laughs> Let me tell you who's my daddy. All right? He could, have, he could have appeared to Pilate. But it was never about religion. It was never about being right. Jesus didn't have to prove his rightness. He knew that he was perfectly right. It was all about relationship of love. And I think the fact that he appears for a third time to make breakfast for his friends is just profound evidence of the fact that God wants relationship with us. I mean, he could have done this any way he wanted to, right? He could have had angels announcing his, you know, his resurrection, a million angels in the sky over Jerusalem. He could have done sky riding. The hand of God could have shown up and had Jesus up there waving them around, whatever. But he didn't do it that way. He shows up on the shore in the morning to make breakfast for his friends who worked all night long and caught nothing. That's the God we serve. So three times now, God has revealed himself. And he's done it to his closest friends. To those to most of them who have abandoned him and had betrayed him and even denied him just a few days before at Jesus' lowest moments. So get this. He's making breakfast for his friends not because they've behaved in pristine and stellar levels, right? They, they have messed up as much as you could possibly mess up. I'll give Mary Magdalene a, a, a pass because she's seen this day Faithfully devoted all the way through. She was there at the cross with all these other guys, except for maybe John. They blew it. Peter, most of all, denying that he even knew the man. Jesus makes breakfast for the people who betrayed him. He makes breakfast for the friends who let him down. Because the relationship isn't dependent upon our behavior. It's completely dependent upon his. Why? Because it's all about relationship. Because Jesus loved them more than he didn't like what they did. Verses 10 to 14. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you caught. So Simon Peter climbed into the boat and dragged the net to shore. It was full of fish, 153. 
But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come, have breakfast. None of the disciples dare ask, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Is there significance in the number 153? I don't know, maybe. Why 153 fish? There's, some of my research says there's been a field day of speculative interpretation uh, concerning this Bible verse from the early days of the church. The number 153 is the sum of numbers. If you add up numbers 1 through 17, it equals 153. Some like Augustine says that it is a number representing the number of commandments, 10 and the seven gifts of the Spirit. I don't know. 153 added numerical value is the added numerical value of Greek words. If you take Greek words and have numbers representing the letters, then 153 can mean either Peter or fish. That's kind of interesting. I don't know. Some ancient writers, some such as Jerome, held that there were 153 different types of fish in the world, maybe then that they knew of. I'm sure that we will surpass that number now. And others. I've taught in the dream class that 153 metaphorically represents kingdom multiplication. But the truth be known, in this case here, the only thing that we're certain that 153 represents is the number of fish they caught that day. Is, this, is there metaphoric significance to the fact that the net didn't break? I'm thinking there probably is. You can figure that out for yourself. But neither is anywhere close to being as important to the fact that God made breakfast. God made breakfast. What kind of God does that? No man-made God would make breakfast. That's for sure. Man-made gods are, are made to be served, not to serve. They don't make breakfast. Our God is not like any other God. He makes breakfast for his friends. Hey, wives, most of you ladies here would be overjoyed if your husband made breakfast for you. God made breakfast for his friends. So here again, we see that there's something different about Jesus, even to the fact that there's something different about his physical appearance. If you remember what we covered, Mary Magdalene encountering Jesus at the tomb, she didn't recognize him right away. She thought he was the gardener. That's in John 20, verses 11 to 16. And in Luke 24, after the resurrection, is the account of Jesus on the road to Emmaus. Jesus joins two disciples, and they're discussing the dramatic uh, current events that surrounding Jesus' death and resurrection. And it says in verse 27 of uh, Luke 24, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scripture concerning himself. Now, that's a Bible study I really would like to sit in on. That would have been an awesome Bible study to sit in on. It wasn't until Jesus broke bread with them that their eyes were open and they recognized him. And so here again in chapter 21, there's an indication that he wasn't totally recognizable. Otherwise, why would it say in verse 12, none of the disciples dare ask, who are you? Now, a commentator I, I go to often, David Guzik, he had a speculation. He said possibly uh, it was the result of the beatings he endured at the cross, the scars of which remained at least in part. He's thinking maybe the, the beating that Jesus received was just so severe and like the, the, 
the scars in his hands and his side remained. Maybe, maybe some of those remained also and so disfigured that maybe they didn't recognize that it was Jesus. But I think there's something more significant, uh, a more significant point to be made here. And I think it is important, and this is why. They didn't recognize Jesus until Jesus let them recognize him. They didn't recognize Jesus until he revealed himself to him, either at the tomb with Mary on the road to Emmaus with the disciples or as he's preparing breakfast for his friends. Why is this important? Because the revelation of Jesus is not something that happens from our end. The revelation of Jesus is not something that happens from our end. It comes from his end. He opens our eyes and we see. In all things, God is the initiator and not man. With this, the abilities they had, the intellect they had, the, the optic capabilities that they had, they did not instantly recognize Jesus until Jesus said or did something and they realized it was him. Either it was a miraculous catch of fish and have a breakfast ready or saying Mary's name, right? On the road to Emmaus when he broke bread with them, he, Jesus does something and then it's revealed who he is to us. He comes to us. He reveals himself to us. We don't go to him. We don't initiate, Right? In Scripture, this is what it says, that God created us. We did not create God. Genesis 1.27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. He created us. We did not create him. In John 14, we see that, John 1.14, that God came to us in the incarnation. The word of God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God came down to us. He he translated himself in a form and a fashion that we could recognize him, that we could identify with him so we could communicate to, to him. He came to us. He did not force us to go up to him. Matter of fact, in Scripture it says that man tried to create a, a tower, the Tower of Babel, to make our way up to God, and God undid that. Because it was never his intention that we would go to him, but that he comes to us. He's the initiator. God sought us out and he's rescued every one of us. Luke 19 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. We didn't seek him first. He sought us first. And if we're honest, most of us have run from him for a long time. And he chased us and caught us. And we love God only because God loved us first. 1 John 4.19, we love because... He first loved us. Jesus told us that he came to proclaim good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to set captives free, to open blind eyes. Listen, if you're poor, brokenhearted, in bondage, blind, you cannot initiate. You're lucky if you get out of bed in the morning and just breathe. You need a savior. You need to be rescued. If you're poor, brokenhearted, in bondage, and blind. We all need to be rescued. And that's just exactly what Jesus has done for each and every one of us. You sit here this morning not because you came to God 
but because God came to you. And he opened your eyes, just like he opened Mary's eyes and the disciples' eyes on the road to Demaeus. And the disciples' eyes at breakfast here this morning on the shores of Galilee. Guys, I got good news for you today. Our God is better than you ever imagined. He's more loving and more approachable and more available than you've been told. We have a good God. We have a very good God. We have a God who initiates. That If you have a Bible with you, that whole book is evidence of the fact that we have a communicating God who he comes to us. You don't have to make yourself better. You don't have to clean yourself up. You've got to do nothing. Just welcome him when he shows up. And if you're running from him, by encouragement, stop running. I never met anybody who fell in love with Jesus and said, boy, I wish I'd wait like five more years. If I could have just had ten more good years of sinning, that would have been awesome, you know? I never met, I've heard people who said they didn't want to go to church, right? But there's a whole big difference between what we know is the institutionalized church and have a relationship with God. Everybody wants God. Everybody who's, had, who's been touched by him wish it happened sooner. So if you find you're running, and I've, I've had my seasons of being on the run, might be time to stop and let him catch you. I remember a guy coming to me once at an outreach we were doing, we were offering dream interpretation, and this guy came and says, I keep having this dream where there's this giant lion and he's chasing after me. I said, oh, interesting. I said, was it daytime or nighttime? He says, daytime, the sun is shining, the sky is blue, but there's this giant lion that's chasing me. I said, you know, Sometimes God is, a metaphor for God is a lion. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. I said, the next time you have that dream, my encouraging you is stop running. Turn around, let the lion catch you. It'll be the greatest thing that ever happened to you. Really? You think so? I totally think so, dude. Let the lion catch you. He comes to us. We have a good God. He loves us that much. He's not waiting on us to initiate. He's already initiated. So where are you this morning? Angie, why don't you come up? So where are you this morning? What do you have need of? Are you in transition like the disciples are in John 21? Has the old passed away and the new not yet come? Are you in an in-between place? Have you already decided to go back to what you know, what's safe and what's familiar, like I tried to do? Have you labored all night through a long, dark night of the soul and got nothing to show for it? You haven't caught any fish either. Do you need God to open your eyes so that you can see the truth that he is right here with you in your midst? Do you need friendship with a God who makes breakfast for you? You want to have a relationship with that kind of God? the one who's so interested in having a relationship with the regular guys, with the fishermen, not with the chief priest, not with the politicians, not with the religious professionals, but he makes breakfast for his friends. If that's you, I encourage you, stand with us this morning while we sing a final song and we pray that the Holy Spirit will touch you in just great and mighty ways today. Amen?